welcome to Joey Hates Movies. It's a movie podcast where we kind of do a movie book club type situation, but it's all catered around him, Joey. He's a man. I who demand attention. He doesn't watch a lot of movies, so and attention. Yeah, he does demand a lot of attention. Thank you. So we're here to try and Nick, I'm talking. Give him opportunities to watch movies that we think he might like, or at least open him up the to the idea of just movies as a whole. I feel like you started that like a uh, you were like a air flight service video. Like, hi and welcome to your flight on United. We're glad you chose to fly with us. You have emergency exits on your left and right side, located at the rear of the plane. But please and do at not the close wings. the Spotify app. I demand you to keep listening. <laughs> it's very important for our viewer retention. A spot, a retention, retention. <laughs> do a lot of people listen on Spotify? That always feels like a crazy person thing to do. Mm. To listen to a podcast on Spotify? Yeah. Yeah, I, don't I would never. It's uh, me either. Much, much, much more popular. Oh wow! Like their their growth because so many people are just, Spotify keeps on incrementing, improving. <laughs> Spotify keeps on improving their podcast experience, so mm -hmm. it's really easy to just have them all in like a feed that's nice. And sometimes it mixes them in with your playlist if you're like on a morning drive or something. Oh, I don't want that though. I don't want to be kicking to some tunes and then just hi and welcome to the uh, podcast here, and we're gonna talk about. But wherever you listen to the podcast, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, do this. is episode This is episode ten. This is ten. Wow. It's movie number nine, though. I stopped. One was Evangelion. I stopped keeping track of the numbers. So we made it to double digits. I guess we can we can call it a day. Like it's it's over. We're done. <laughs> we made our pilot. Yeah. But to celebrate our tenth movie, um, Coral, you told me to to watch a film uh, by a guy called Buster Keaton, whose name that I know. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why I know. I'm just like people. It's a knowable name. It's a yeah. Knowable name. It's a good name. And then uh, I quickly found out that uh, it was a silent movie. Mm. Yes, Buster Keaton died in the 60s, so <laughs> this movie's wow. very old. That's like before my parents were even born. That's you got young parents. Yeah, I do actually. That's a weird humble brag. Let's talk about that. <laughs> no. Um, and for all the people who are like, hey, I, how do I track down this movie? Well, you're in luck because this movie is free. It is available on YouTube. You could watch it in its entirety. So there's literally no excuse for you to be listening to this without having seen the movie. You just want people to do their homework. Yeah, I just like, all I ask. You we, can stop now if you haven't done your homework yet and then come back later. Oh, well, yeah, we'll see you in about an hour or what, 15? Now, yeah, depending on your cut that you watch. Depending on the version. I watched the hour 47 cut. I think mine was shorter than that. Mine was hour 15, hour 20. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. about what mine was also. So we watched slightly different versions of the movie, which is interesting. Um, but what is The General, I guess? Um, the General is considered kind of Buster Keaton's masterpiece. It's one of the, the great films of the silent era and one of the most formative films in American cinema. It came out in 1926, so we're talking like silent movie era. Um, and it is about a train engineer, Johnny Gray, played by Keaton. He has two loves of his life, Annabelle Lee and his train, the general. It's set at the start of the Civil War. Uh, Johnny rushes to enlist in the Confederate Army at the behest of his fiance and her entire family, but he's rejected because his actual job as a train engineer is too vital. He, however, is not told this reason, and Annabelle severs their relationship kind of out of shame that he didn't enlist. Uh, a year 
year later, Union spies steal the general and kidnap Annabelle, who's a passenger on the train at the time. Johnny pursues them on foot, then bike, then handcar, eventually on another train called the Texas. He steals the train back, rescues Annabelle, and then a reversal of this same first chase kind of ensues as he tries to outrun the Union soldiers. Uh, eventually, he kind of gets away from them by setting fire to a bridge behind him that causes the Union train to crash into the river below. For his bravery, he's made lieutenant, and he wins back the love of his fiance. And that's the movie. A very kind of classic plot line, a, a train chase, essentially, um, but also a, a, a period piece, an action movie, a comedy, kind of a romance. It seems the one thing that stood out to me is that Keaton's a... He's on the the Confederacy, which was weird. Yeah, and actually this is based on real events that occurred in a, a popular uh, book written about this, this train chase. Um, but the sides were actually flipped, and Keaton made the decision to, to change it and make his main character a member of the Confederate Army. Not really for political reasons at the time. It was more of just like you, you can't make the winners the villains, and in kind of the American public persona the the south were the underdogs and keaton characters are always underdogs ah, okay. um, so that was why he so made that's this choice why i'm like I, as soon as i realized he was a confederate soldier i'm like wait a second is my protagonist that i'm rooting for someone who i <laughs> want to vehemently hate and disagree yeah. with like yeah. it definitely takes on a different context being so far removed from it mm -hmm. and, and like, one of the things i wrote down i'm like the south really but they were yeah. fresh out of the the civil war to some extent like fresher than we are now yeah it was it was still like 60 years i guess yeah. 40 yeah so it's still painful 40 years yeah i, mean, I guess it's always painful in a way but it, it feels like today, it's, today putting a character as a Confederate soldier would have a very different connotation <laughs> than doing it back then. I just mm -hmm. felt weird rooting for a Confederate soldier and like, oh, wow. Yeah. I, this feels odd. Or when they're going to clash and you're like, oh, no. Uh, the, I thought Buster Keaton was woke. What's going on over <laughs> here? <laughs> He's only half woke. He's only a little woke. Yeah, man. Is comedy only transcends for the racist South apparently, but no, yeah. there's not really any connotation of anything like that. It is it is? I think the Civil War here is presented very much as one side versus the other, with no politics attached. Yeah, to politics are heavily removed. Even I mean, he doesn't sign up to join the Confederate Army from any sense of patriotism or political loyalty to that side. It is very obviously like. Oh, my fiance! This is important to her, and she wants me to do it. Could, yeah, so his fiance was racist. Yeah, um, but also like <laughs> everyone red in... versus blue team, and they would like the, the movie <laughs> would be the same. Mm -hmm. But like, first of all, what's going on, Keen? Why are you dating a girl who only wants war heroes? Like, <laughs> come on, you can do better than that. But I was then again, annoyed by the love interest. Yeah, it's like, why? What do you mean you don't want to be with me because I don't want to enlist? Like, okay, well, we're done here. But again, this is a very different era. Where like I guess the only thing you, the only thing people could do to pass the time was enlist in the military. I guess <laughs> I I really yeah, that's fine. Uh, I I think the the thing that stood out to me though is just immediately by Buster Keaton, and this is my first Buster Keaton movie. So just seeing his like uh, facial interactions, like. The way he's very good with his face and just mm. using his body for comedic effect. Oh, this guy's very, this guy's great with his body. I feel like I can learn how to fall and flail and just like emote with your body. Um, I, I was really impressed with how 
much comedy he can get out of just nothing but body movements mm-hmm. and the amount of like doing your own stunts. I think he did his stunts. I'm pretty yes. sure he did all of his own yeah. stunts. I think Buster Keen is kind of like famous for always doing his own stunts, which are always very dangerous. Yes. <laughs> this guy ate a lot of shit in that in this movie <laughs> yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Like I'd love to see the outtakes. There, uh, there's there's no like Jackie Chan esque outtakes at the credit roll at the end. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I'm very curious to see what it looks like with the stuff that didn't make the film. Yeah, it's uh, it, so Nick. This is the first time Nick's also seen a Buster Keaton film. What what made you interested in like showing this coral or like what's your experience um, like with Buster like silent era movies or? Well, I Buster is far and away the silent film director I've watched the most of i've seen like some charlie chaplin stuff um but that's that's really it i had never seen the general before i mostly watched earlier shorts and then some of the later like sherlock jr is probably a bit under an hour and it's a few years before this i think um and that sherlock jr is my favorite and i just never seen the general i think mostly because this plot synopsis is the most uh paint by numbers yeah like what what do you think a silent movie is going to be about and i think you're going to get to this plot more than any of his other movies um so i was just less interested in it um but it is held up as his masterpiece and one of the great ones from this era so this felt like a one to one to start with i also thought that this was shorter so i originally pitched doing kind of a double feature with this one and sherlock jr um but this ended up being like feature length so we just went with this i just think he's he's like the the tallest figure in like film history to me is Buster Keaton. I feel like you can see echoes of his work in almost anything that comes after from the way he frames a shot, the way he thinks about human movement through a frame is is so formative and to he he did a lot of these things first without being able to study great films before him or take a film class or anything like that. He just had such a strong natural instinct and had such a formative effect on all of film. And I just really enjoy his movies. So, so he's definitely like, like an artist when there wasn't, you know, people creating that media before him. Like, yeah, he was, he was born around when motion pictures were invented and he was making movies when he was 20. So there's not a lot that came before him in that sense. And I think he's making them on a level, like, really quite unlike anything else that existed at that time. Yeah. Uh, just as far as, like, shot composition and just, like, he understood comedy and how you present it physically. Mm-hmm. I-, I think the thing that stood out to me in this viewing is just how every setup, every joke, every visual gag is something that you've seen echoes of in every comedy from like this point moving forward like you've always seen that the the opening gag of him walking to his girlfriend's house and he doesn't realize that she's right behind him the entire time and he's just kind of walking along like you've seen that joke millions of times but he was the one who invented it yeah and i (laughs) i think his version of these jokes hold up a lot better than some other silent film stars because it's It's not theatrical the way a lot of other people in this time tried to just kind of translate theater acting and theater comedy, which is big facial expressions and really mugging straight to cam. And he he you know, he was known as the great stone face because his his acting was so minimal in a way that was uniquely suited to cinema and when no one else was really thinking about it as a totally separate art form the way he was. So. But did you guys like it? How did you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I liked it. I, I think that I had, 
very low expectations because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, am I really gonna like like a like a like a '60s, '20s silent era film? Mm-hmm. That's um, eventually we got to the right. <laughs> I'm really, really gonna like something that's like that that old or that without audio or that mm. black and white or that like. Um, I, I feel like I can hear the cantina music from Disneyland just playing yeah. when I think about silent movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was I was surprised and, and happy with it because it did feel more subtle. I think when I think of silent movies, I think about like those grandiose spiking the camera, like yeah. looking at my wide eyes and big smile and isn't this kind of goofy? Mm-hmm. But this felt more... Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if "subtle" is the right word, but it it, it felt. Uh, I was impressed with with the story that I was being able to be told without any of the the narrative. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that, that I feel like this this we might have I might have looked at like the thing that would be the best thing for me to look at mm-hmm. to defend a silent movie, and then everything else would be like below that. Mm. But it I I was I walked away from this pleasantly surprised actually. Uh, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I was thinking a lot about the production of the movie because this is like pre like Hollywood being Hollywood, right? Yeah, there weren't really the major studios yet. This was pre Golden Age, and so that means no real special effects either. Yeah, th- yeah. There weren't like people. How did this get financed? Because it's a very expensive movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, you say that it was. I think like seven hundred thousand at the time. So it it came out to I think twelve million today, oh, okay. which for a movie budget is not no not a crazy. Lot. It's very, um, yeah, it's but it, at the time movies weren't granted the kinds of budget even relative that they were today. So it was still an expensive big production. That the train shot was I think the most expensive scene in a silent film yeah. ever, maybe. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I mean they had to build a bridge or like get a bridge that was out of commission, mm-hmm. get some kind of a dummy train, which I assume was just like also I think a it was just a real train. Yeah, it was a real it was a real train. <laughs> it was a real train. <laughs> they, they had to get like a real train that could operate but like was gonna be trashed. Yeah. yeah. They had to presumably pay all those people. Yeah, they mm-hmm. paid uh, quite a bit of money to all those extras. There were so many extras. I'm like, are they paying everyone here? Oh yeah, there there are so many extras in this movie. On my so many extras. On my research of the movie, apparently, like it it was done like a lot of money was spent also building artificial dams to get water to the appropriate levels for certain scenes and stuff like that. Like they had to build roads, build bridges, and just like they they redeveloped the landscape where they shot, and it's like that that costs a lot of money. So. It's it's an expense that you don't normally think about when it comes to production, but it's just like wow, he was able to accomplish a lot back in the twenties. Mm-hmm. And honestly, though, it might have been easier back then than it is now. Like, yeah. You probably didn't need a permit. It's like oh yeah, just build a dam in this lot in this river. Sure, why not? Yeah, no real red tape yeah. to deal with. <laughs> uh, this is uh, I my first time viewing this, but I I think unlike Joey, I had a harder time keeping my this movie had a harder time keeping my attention it Mm -hmm. might be because i watched the longer cut that i found myself like i I often found myself that since there was so little story in between the set pieces that it felt like i could have just this is the one time i could have watched a movie at three times the speed Mm. and gotten the same thing from it because i feel like there is no pacing 
in a movie like this. There's really it, it was meant to pass the time back in the day. Like you you came in from a long hard day at the factory and you you sat down to watch a movie with your family because it was better than what you had at home, and you just wanted to forget about your real life for a bit. Um, and I felt like really I was just waiting for the big set pieces that that Keaton's known for. Mm -hmm. So I did watch the movie on one times normal speed, but as an experiment, because I thought to myself, I'm like, what would this be like at like 1.25, 1.5, two times speed? And I found the movie also very watchable at up to one and a half times speed. I, I didn't continue that. I probably stuck with it for like 10 minutes after I already finished the movie, like going back and looking at parts. Mm. I'm like, this is interesting because, you know, without dialogue, you're not hearing people be chipmunks. You're just yeah. hearing music a little bit faster, but you can digest it at a quicker pace. It's just people like walking a little bit faster. Yeah. And I'd argue that the title cards are just like 2019 length of like, oh yeah, everyone's probably pretty good at reading in the year yeah. 2019, <laughs> so they could read this very quickly because at normal speed, those title cards hang for a really they, long... They really sit there. <laughs> I, but, but I was like, people probably weren't as good at reading yeah. as I am now, so they needed longer. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. But for the longest time, I always had a question about silent film is like, why is the footage always faster? Why like... Every, it's always sped up. Anytime I've ever seen footage of anyone in a silent movie, mm -hmm. everyone's always moving quick. And I always wondered why. And this is why. Yeah. It's to maintain pacing and to keep you interested. Otherwise, it would just drag forever. Yeah. But unlike something like uh, Metropolis, which is another silent film uh, made by Fritz Lang, like highly – like I, I could watch that one no problem. So I, I think that there's definitely like a golden age of silent film. And this wasn't quite a part of it, despite it being hugely influential. And I think I find myself more drawn to the story element of a silent film than just, like, the cool stunts. Yeah, I I understand why this is the movie that gets held up as, like, a masterpiece. It's certainly the biggest thing he's made and certainly the most, like... What what is a movie gonna look like after this movie and you see it? But I I was pretty disappointed just because every every other Keaton thing I've ever watched I found so genuinely like riveting start to finish and so funny. And this is the first time I've watched Keaton and been kind of bored. Um and I and I felt really drawn to the smaller moments in this movie, not so much the big train thing and you know, he's got the big spike in the way and he hits it out of the way with another spike before he gets past that's great but i was more interested in the smaller moments even just at the beginning where he's with his fiance and those two kids followed him inside so to get rid of him he just walks towards the door puts his hat on opens the door for them and then shuts the door and takes his hat back off and sits down like those are the moments that i really like in kate movies and i felt like this was just too big for me to enjoy those things maybe i I don't know. I was just, I was a little bored. This felt like what I expected silent movies to be before I had watched silent movies. Um, Interesting. I, 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 I didn't think that it was funny in the sense that I was laughing, mm -hmm. but I, it's like something that I watched and like, oh, like I understand why that's funny. Yeah. Like, I get why this is funny. Or like, that's a good fall. Like, mm -hmm. I appreciate that fall. So it, it's not like I was sitting there being like, oh, oh, oh having, having a right. I don't think, I don't think they, it, it elicited that type of a response. Um, I think the more grandiose things were actually more interesting to me because the the little moments while while quaint were just like, 
okay, this is just like, this is just. Mm -hmm. It's it's a smaller gag as opposed to like I I think the thing that I knew walking into this movie about you specifically, Joey, is that you would appreciate the 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 precision and execution of a lot of the set pieces and a lot of the the stunts themselves because it's just like the camera doesn't cut at all. It's just a wide shot. So it's on the front of a moving train. Yeah, like if he messed up hitting the log out of the way with the log while he was on the train, like he probably would have died. <laughs> Like, there's a lot of things where I'm like, if he messes up, he probably just would have died or gotten, like, maimed. Yeah. Which is like, wow, that's very impressive in the way that a YouTube stunt compilation is impressive. And I feel like this might be even more impressive than some of the, like, a, a random parkour video in that this is just, like, unabashed, wide shot, and you are going to see everything about this stunt from beginning to end. All its just imperfections and just his execution, which I oh, I appreciate. Yeah. I think think about this now for the first time, but maybe what I didn't like about some of those larger moments were in in other movies. There's stunts that are much bigger, I think, and much scarier than what's in this one. But even those are played against your expectations as not necessarily straight comedy, but like this this man who doesn't understand even how he's doing this or why he's doing this, who's just like caught up trying to work through the chaos of the world happens to do this amazing feat or something catastrophic happens around him and he's fine. And this felt much more of like a, an action movie setup where you see the, the problem in front of him and can he get past it? It's like telegraphed. Yeah. Like yeah. You could see the setup, you can see the build and then you see the ultimate like, yeah, this has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you there. It, it, it felt like, which is weird, though, because in movies, oftentimes, we, we like seeing protagonists who are active. Mm -hmm. We like seeing protagonists who make things happen. And I'd argue that that's what he did here. Yeah. But I think that a lot of the charm, that in what, especially in what you described, and the, I don't disagree in, in Keaton's movies, is that he is very much just reacting in a way to a lot of what's happening around him. Granted, he might have caused a lot of the stuff that unknowingly happens to him, but it still feels like he was clever or just got really lucky, and the spectacle is that he got so lucky. Mm -hmm. Whereas this does feel like more traditional what a story should look like. Yeah. Which is weird, <laughs> because that's how you tell a good story, but I don't think that that works here. Yeah, and I, I mean... A lot of his other movies are him reacting to things, but there's still it's still initiated by a genuine desire to work through the problems he's in. They just all spin out in this strange way that's never the anticipated reaction. He's still always an active participant mm. in his stories. It's just kind of the rest of the world doesn't notice what he's trying to do, so it doesn't respond the way he wants it to. Is Buster really a small person, or did he intentionally cast giants to make? I look I smaller? looked this up last night <laughs> watching this movie. He's five five. Wow, five five. Yeah. Because I'm like, I, 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 it would have been interesting if he was a little bit taller to intentionally cast the tallest other people, to, mm -hmm. because you know he's trying to play a character who is scrappy and small. Yeah. Which he does. He comes off like his clothes are too baggy compared to everyone else. Mm -hmm. You know, he's shorter than almost everyone else he's on screen with. Mm -hmm. He looks weaker. Like, he, he looks like a quintessential underdog. Yeah. Like, he always just looks like he is has pulled the short, end, the short stick. But boy, does he rock that eyeliner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And I lo- I'm, I'm a big fan of his hair too. Oh, I hated his hair in this. I love I love his hair. Yeah, I wasn't in, I wasn't into his hair. Mm. I'm a big fan, but I, I think the um, you, you had talked about some of the the quieter, smaller moments in this movie, and I think the one that sticks out to me is when he is. Uh, <sighs> I think when he first catches up with the Union soldiers and it's raining outside mm-hmm. and he's very hungry, so he sneaks into their uh, little base of operations through the window. And uh, just when he's getting ready to grab a bite of food, all of the soldiers show up, so he has to hide underneath the table. Did you guys see that in your cut? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think that that is probably, like, out of the entire movie my favorite set piece just because of how well executed it is like it is firing Mm -hmm. on all fronts of just like framing in an era where i just didn't think people thought about shot composition this way Mm -hmm. like everything is so perfect and deliberately placed from the moment where you see the wide shot of him and they lift the 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 uh the tablecloth and you see him perfectly framed by like the moonlight and you see is like oh no they're gonna catch me here to the uh the soldiers who are speaking next to each other and one of them drops it like holds a cigar up to the cloth and he has his he's trying to listen in and so it burns him like that's so cool mm-hmm. i as soon as that scene started i felt like a sense of relief like oh i'm back in like the buster keaton movie that i want to be in it, it felt like a, a scene that was should have been impossible in the mm-hmm. time that it was created yeah like there's no way someone was able to think about this and block this yeah. entire scene this way i i really hope you watch sherlock jr eventually because i think i think that's a much stronger mm. movie with regards to all the things we're talking about and felt so ahead of its time when I watched it as well. Like th- this really did feel like right. The movie that came immediately bo- before it's, which is not true is the great train robbery. Mm-hmm. And then this is just a comedian's take on that same movie, Yeah, which it's like, okay, this is very interesting because this is a huge step forward from what was first presented on screen. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I was constantly impressed at the things he was capable of doing in an era where I just didn't think like he he was approaching it with a like a 1990s film criticism perspective of just what film could be and how you make something, Mm -hmm. which is just baffling to me. Yeah, I think you can really tell that he considers a camera as as like another not necessarily character, but like an important tool to make something play out the way you want it to, whether what's happening in front of the camera is all exactly the same, the way you place the camera, the way you move it, the way you frame it, has a really strong influence on how that action is received rather than a lot of other early films where it's just like, we gotta put this somewhere where it can see all the stuff we do. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. It it felt like the difference between a YouTube video where someone just like, hey, we gotta make sure you can see the entire thing as opposed to like, no, this is deliberate, like this will look nice, but it'll also really accentuate all the things that I'm trying to accomplish in in this scene, in this Mm -hmm. moment, which is cool. So YouTubers should go watch more Buster Keaton. I think think anyone who is interested in physical comedy, I think anyone who's interested in just shot composition, just like if you don't have a lot of money and you wanna make films, I think you would you could do worse things and study the the filmography of Buster Keaton because it's just one camera, it's locked off. There's nothing fancy. He doesn't have a dolly. He doesn't have anything fancy. It's just one wide shot. 
but he knows exactly the wide shot to place in order to tell a story, which is just great. The stress of doing that scene with the with the bridge collapsing in the <laughs> and that was one of the only scenes that had a camera move. Which <laughs> that's so much pressure to put on your yeah. camera op. <laughs> I know you've only done a camera move five other times in your life, but I need you to not fuck this up, please. <laughs> Uh, apparently, after that giant train fell into the ravine, like that became like a landmark to some extent, where they just left it there. Yeah. And so, like for years, they'd be like, "Hey, check out where this movie was shot." <laughs> but then, it eventually, all the the scrap metal was was pillaged and scavenged mm -hmm. for World War Two. Oh, yeah. So it was there for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a crazy world! They're like, "God, we got to go take apart this this misconstrued train <laughs> for our new Sherman." It's desperate times. Man, I. Speaking of desperate times, I almost wanted uh, Buster to tell his lady to fuck off after <laughs> he actually became a lieutenant. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I think I expected that kind of like stereotypical, like, oh, hey, I deserve better than this kind of thing. But it's mm -hmm. like, no, it's fine. And I, I do think that some of that dynamic wasn't just how he's going to make a movie about romance as much as it was like this is a period film and this is you know they they were making a film about a totally different era that felt old timey and old fashioned to them in the 20s so I, I have to feel like that played a part in that dynamic as well yeah yeah i think i just often found myself like having a hard time like i i definitely realized like oh this was made by people in the 20s and they're making it about something that took place about 50 to 60 years before and which is a long time which is it's a very long time so yeah. it's just like oh i have to put myself in the mindset of someone in the 20s thinking about the civil war which mm -hmm. is weird yeah <laughs> even looking at her costuming was so strange because it's it's obviously supposed to be like a southern bell kind of hoop yeah. skirt deal but her makeup is the most <laughs> 20s makeup i've <laughs> ever seen those like harsh thin brows that curve all the way down and the really dark underdrawn lips like that it just felt so incongruous and that's such an an interesting thing to watch different eras do period filmmaking hmm. it's something that i just didn't think was done mm -hmm. back in those days of, of the, the the silent film yeah uh and speaking of just the way people look like i always find it weird when i watch older movies is that there's like a like if there was like a like a create a character model mm. for like every decade of filmmaking, it just feels like pe people don't look like that anymore. Like people aren't built or shaped that way. Yeah. I feel like no one looks the like in 2019. No one looks the way anyone in the 20s does like physically. Yeah, which is weird to me. How does yeah. that happen? Is that just the process of evolution where humans slowly take different shapes and forms? But like, it just seems so weird. No one looks yeah. like they're built in the 20s now, <laughs> which I don't understand. Everyone's stocky as hell. Everyone looks like me in the 20s, but white. <laughs> like, just stocky as hell and just, like, weird-shaped and just, like... Oh, yeah. Even, like, bodybuilder stuff yeah. from the, the early 19th century is so... Weird. Like, they just look so fleshy. Like, there's yeah. no... Like, no one had abs in the 20s. You were just big. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was what strength looked like. You were just big. You were just John Strongman. Yeah, but with a, with a thin waist, yeah. usually. It's very strange. You get the corset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but is, is there anything else that stood out to you, Joey, on, on your your watch of your first silent movie ever? Um, I don't know if this was like... I was interested in the music, and it felt like... 
I, I, I felt like there was like I wanted more music or different tracks. I felt like we kept on going back to the same one. I don't know if it was like the cut I watched or like what was hmm. intended, but I felt like the music was like really samey. Mm. I think that's usually intentional, where it's not supposed. To, it's not really supposed to be a, a score or a soundtrack the way movies today are. It's just supposed to like. Well, we don't have conversation we need just gentle kind of mood pushes to keep this moving it wasn't really scored because a lot of times i think it was a live orchestra performing as well yeah so you can't really be too specific with that kind of stuff it'd be like an in-theater performance yeah um but yeah i mean that's a good point and i i do wonder what it would be like if someone who just like truly loved this movie were to rescore it in a way and just like add meaning to the sound hmm. uh behind i i do That's wonder voices i do wonder how that would fundamentally change the movie because like i think i did that with the uh the murnau nosferatu movie hmm. where i watched the rescored version it was like synth music like someone just did analog synth music to to a, a weird oh, that sounds interesting silent era vampire movie which i was like this is cool but it feels like uh, um, a contemporary vision of what is considered cool for yeah. for a movie as opposed to what might have been more accurate to the time. Mm. Like, I wonder that if I were to, if, if someone were to deliberately score a movie like this, how that would fundamentally alter and just, just fundamentally change the movie. So I'd, I'd be curious to see something like that. Yeah. Do you think that we'll ever reach an era where people are just recreating silent films but just adding more meat to them i mean wouldn't we have gotten there yet or soon i i, I really don't know yeah it's also it's so weird to think about film as an art form because it's like a hundred years old and you think about something like painting which is thousands of years old like any writing any other art medium is so incredibly old and when you put film in that context it's like we're still we're still babies so it's so hard to think about what what this could all look like in 300 years but uh, but unlike a lot of the other mediums though i feel like they always revert back to more primitive styles at some point mm -hmm. I, I don't know that i've seen uh, a contemporary i guess even like an art house release of a silent movie yeah I, I feel like there's just no i don't know if there's no room for a silent movie anymore i don't think that's the case but i just i feel like no one's made something that has really stood out as wow this is a silent movie but it's doing some crazy stuff man yeah and i i do wonder if we'll live to see something like that in our lifetime because i i'm sure it'll happen at some point in the future as far as just not not re remaking silent movies but just making a silent movie it would have to be like a weird almost one-off cult pop culture thing like people will get really excited about it because like well dude it's like a silent movie like brad pitt in it well, well there's crazy. there's like the artist a few years ago oh yeah that's true but, yeah. but even that compromises to some extent because there is talking oh and, i didn't I, actually watch it it's a, it's an interesting movie i think i think it'd be a, a cool like double feature to pair that with a, a silent film mm -hmm. of this era uh because you really do see uh the callbacks yeah actually that's a i think that's a pretty fair comparison though like 95 percent of that movie is silent yeah but uh yeah that's pretty yeah no never mind you shot me down <laughs> that's that was exactly bang, bang. the movie um but i think that's pretty much all we 
we've got out of the yeah. general. Like, I feel like that's the appropriate amount of time to talk about a, a movie with not a lot of meat, but still does a lot of interesting things. Yeah. I, I hope if you find this interesting, either either of you guys or anyone listening, just like watch some compilations of gags from him on YouTube or watch one of his shorter movies or there's a, a every frame of painting video about Buster Keaton that's really great and eight minutes. Um, I just think uh, he's... Sounds like my... That's yeah, yeah. Like, no, there's a narrator. Yeah. yeah. Every frame of painting is the thing that first like draw, drew me mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to Buster Keaton. So I was excited. Yeah. And I, I definitely am, especially knowing that a lot of his other stuff definitely taps a lot of the the uh, Union Soldier dinner scene that I really liked in this movie. So yeah. I'd be curious to see more movies based around that kind of material. I just want to let you know that I liked this movie more than Jurassic Park. <laughs> what a what a deeply complicated feeling I have right now. <laughs> that you have I told someone the other day, I was like, so we do this podcast, but you get get this. This is our canon list of, <laughs> of ratings. At the top or no, at the very bottom, right above Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park's at last, dead last. Right above that is Ingmar Bergman's persona. <laughs> <laughs> but above that is Collateral and uh, and The Matrix and The Thing. And everyone's just like, what is, what's going on? What are you guys doing over there? But We're having a good time. I'm proud of our canon list. I think it's such an interesting, it's one of a kind. We're, we're really trying to hit as many different areas as quickly as we can. But Joey, now that we're all done with the general, what is the next movie on our list? The next movie is something uh, for the first time that we're doing is like uh, a movie that was or still is active in theaters. Something that we all went to go see together as a group in Los Angeles at the Dome, the ever famous Dome. Um, a, a Tarantino movie, which I get made fun of for liking him, which feels like <laughs> which bullying. Which is fair. Which feels like bullying, but you know I'll disregard that for a moment. <laughs> um, we're 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 gonna we're gonna finally uh, get ourselves back into old LA and and talk a little bit about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So the next because we saw it all together, and it's very convenient. And I feel like most people who are listening to this have probably seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at this point. Like, it's like one of the biggest movies this year. Everyone watches Quentin Tarantino. So uh, join us next time as we talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm so glad it'll have someone talking in it. And color. I'm very excited for a color movie this time. <laughs> we, did, we did two without. Yeah.